Texas football is maybe or maybe not in a coaching search. We don't know, but pretend we're football for the next hour. I'm your host, Will Bazer, and I'm joined alongside by Johnny Brashear and Timothy Preston, as always. You guys are listening to the Hornscast channel. That's the Hornscast channel on any podcasting platform out there. Today, we're going to be going over the Villanova loss and the Texas State win. Why do I feel so heartened after a loss? Then Texas heads up to Baylor to face the class of the conference, the Baylor Bears. I just saw Johnny cringe on that one. And we'll talk about what to look for in that game and how Texas could come away with a win in Waco. Y'all, let's go ahead and get right into Villanova here. And tell me, why do I feel so heartened after a loss to Villanova where Texas basically fumbled it away? Why am I happy about this? Why I'm not happy. Why am I just not depressed? Why would a smart person be okay or why are you okay? Tim. Tim. I that that did Tim. come up. I didn't I really actually genuinely feel bad that I didn't mean for it to be that, that mean. <laughs> smart. I don't know why I, I audible to smart person. I should have just said, like, why would a, a rational Why would an attractive person <laughs> yeah, or would you? That's much better. There you go. No, I'm I'm with you, man. I, I It was a game that really screamed, like, you don't want to say that Villanova didn't win. Uh, you don't want to – I don't want to say that, that Texas necessarily – like like drop the ball or or kind of snatch defeat out of the jaws of victory. I thought that I, both I mean, teams they did, did some good things. Drop the ball a couple of times. They, they, they did. Villanova Villanova got some timely shots. They they played played like a very veteran smart team. I think Jay Wright. I, I actually liked how he used his timeouts. I thought that was pretty smart. Like it just some of those pretty savvy, intelligent things, and yet. It was tied with what, like a minute and a half left. You know, this was a game that, again, if you had told me beforehand that, you know, that Andrew's going to shoot two for ten, that Greg Brown is going to shoot three for six, but with three turnovers, if Brock is going to give you an over, stuff like that, I, I think that I probably would have said, okay, well, if that's the case, if only, if only. Matt and Courtney are in double figures, and if no one else like even really steps up at all, and Andrew clanks a bunch of stuff, that it probably wouldn't have been a four point game, right? So, so the fact that it was kind of speaks to some development from this team. The fact that we can still hang in there, even again with, without whatever the quote unquote like a game that potentially exists somewhere. But we needed some guys to hit some big shots during the game, and they did. We had some stretches where we really were taking it to Villanova, and that's that's pretty cool. Because I don't think Villanova's a fluke. There's been some other games that we've won against teams that, you know, I think back to whatever the game when Kerwin went off against North Carolina early on in the season, kind of like this. It's like, oh, wow, what a great win. And then North Carolina was not great that year, and it turned out that they were not awesome. Where last year when we went to Purdue and won, and then I think Purdue ended up like 500 for the season, and... I don't think that's going to happen with Villanova. This was an actual competitive game against a terrific team. And obviously you hope you win those, but really you're just glad that you're in them. And even if you drop some, okay, that's fine. But don't embarrass yourselves and and show that there's some growth that can happen and maybe you play a team like that again and different things take place. I think it, it seemed like where in previous years 
Texas would have a game like this and they would either really show up or really not. And more often than not, it was really not. They have a team that is probably going to be in the discussion for a number one seed at the end of the year, probably no worse than a two seed, come to their house and they played them to within one possession for most of the game. Took, took the lead here and there, gave it up here and there. And I, I think I said in my recap that it felt like an Elite Eight game, like a chalk Elite Eight game where a one seed plays a four seed or that, you know, two seed plays a three seed, that sort of thing, where it was two teams who were playing well and were trading blows and one team came out on top, but the other didn't. Like they, you know, it sucks they lost, but they don't feel that bad because they actually played pretty well. Like there are some times when you play well, but the other team or the other person is just better than you and you just got to tip your hat to them. And I think that's sort of how it was is Villanova was just a little bit of a better team and it showed at the final score. One of the struggles whenever you're thinking about a game like that is you're looking for patterns, you're looking for stuff that really sticks out. And it just was simply two teams that were pretty closely matched. And and that feels good to say, <laughs> you know, a couple of weeks ago, I don't know that any of us would have said, well, we're not going to be that closely matched with Villanova. You know, you hope for a win against North Carolina or maybe we can do well in whatever game, but but that might be a bridge too far. And I think it probably wasn't. But what, what Villanova did and we were going to have to figure out is they were clearly taking away dribble penetration for us, um, especially for guys like Andrew and Greg and Kai who want to be you know, one shot fake and then into the lane and Villanova took that away from us in the same way that I'm pretty sure Baylor is going to take that away from us. And Texas tech is going to take that away from us. And I'm assuming that, that West Virginia will take that away from us and probably Kansas. Although there's some chinks in that armor that I, I guess I wasn't quite expecting. We'll see if they kind of get it figured out or not, but you know, what really good teams can do is they can take what a defense you know, like a defense is going to have to make a choice. Are they going to allow you to shoot from three or are they going to, you know, make you dribble into the paint? Whatever they take away, can you still be successful? And I think that our biggest thing, the, re- the reason we didn't have that, that was a loss instead of a win is we just, they were giving, <laughs> they were giving Andrew and Greg a chance to be successful from the outside and it didn't work. And so we're not quite at that position where we can say, okay, we'll take what the different defense gives us, whatever it might be, and we can still win. And the hope is that in a month, that will be different. Yeah, I think the difference, as you were pointing out, Tim, is the fact that they had Jeremiah Robert, Robinson Earl, Justin Moore, and Colin Gillespie in triple digits, whereas Texas only had Courtney Ramey and Matt Coleman. And you're looking for that third guy that entire game, whether it was Andrew Jones, Greg Brown, Jericho Sims, Kai Jones, but nobody could get over that that double-digit points, and it allowed for a good team like Villanova to take away opportunities from Courtney Ramey and Matt Coleman and give them to these other guys who just weren't getting it done, especially a guy like Andrew Jones. Well, I think sort of the fundamental difference here between the two teams is that their their offenses are somewhat similar in that they – um, they prioritize attacking the paint, uh, and the defenses are both trying to limit the dribble penetration, uh, in Texas' case, with the, the, the weak side defenders coming in to help. And the difference in the game to me, or the primary difference in the game to me, is that the Villanova guards would get into the lane and see the 
guy that was being helped off of in the corner pass out to him and he'd either hit an open three or take a driving lane. He'd take, you know, the open shot basically. Uh, and Texas was not able to reliably do that. And I think like Tim said, teams are trying to, to take away your, your primary desire, your primary action. And Villanova was better able to deal into, to, to work itself into that second action that allowed for an open shot. Also, they pump fake way better than Texas. And, the pump fakes were, uh, I don't remember who I saw that said something like, is there a team in the country that does not pump fake better than we do? That's fair. Uh, but I will say that Villanova is the best I've seen to date. And someone on Twitter, uh, referred to it as like judo. And I can't disagree. Those guys just let the defender wash over them and dribbled one, t- one, one, you know, one dribble to the side. And, then took the open shot. So, you know, it's little things like that. That that's that's what makes the difference between a top five team and a top fifteen team, right? Is that Villanova has the understanding and ability to get those sort of shots and to have the situational awareness to understand not to take that first three, to take one dribble to the left and take the second one. That that sort of thing, where Texas does that some, but not as reliably. And that's sort of why Villanova wins these games is because they have those marginal gains relative to a pretty good team in Texas. Do you think Texas can get there? Do you think Texas, these players can get there Uh, again? I think Tim said it before the show was that this game was calling for a third scorer, a guy who would step up. And as I was just talking about, you were hoping that was Andrew Jones. He goes two for 10 on the floor and one for six and three, do you think that you can find that or you can get that guy reliably against teams of the caliber of Villanova later on in the season? Or is this a Texas team we're going to get? We're just going to have to hope for a good run in the tournament. Uh, I, I hope that it doesn't come down to, to hoping for the right matchups. Although obviously you're always hoping for the right matchups, but you know, I hope that we're not relying on like a 15 beating a two or something like that when we get to March or, or whatever. I, I know that we're not going to talk a ton about Texas State, but I guess I would, if it's okay, we might kind of shift to that a little bit because I think the, the conversation sort of works there a little bit. And one thing that I will that I will address, we can we can touch more on on the Bobcats as the podcast goes on. But I liked a lot. I liked a lot that in this game, even when there were at least two or three times, I want to say in the second half against Texas State. That it got to what seven points? Yeah, that's as close as they got. Right. And I think they only did it once, but yes. And I believe Matt took six shots. Yeah, something like that. If you compare and contrast that to North Carolina and Villanova, Matt did not take six shots in those games. You know, he was more like like in the in the fifteen range. And to me, that's a subtle thing, but it's a really big deal because we need to be able to beat teams like Texas State with Matt and Courtney not being high volume shooters. And here's why that really, that speaks to me and why I I feel like my desire for that third score seems to be, you know, to like pretty obviously be met by Shaka because I don't think it's by accident that Courtney and Matt were both pretty low volume because a third scorer could only emerge if we give other guys shots. So, so finding ways to, to create situations where like, all right, well, uh, this game, we're going to assume that our talent is good enough 
to beat a team like Texas State without our two best players, if we can assume that, you know, or assume or agree or whatever level that, that, that Ramey and Coleman are playing the best right now, that we find those shots, that we create more opportunities for Greg. And you just wonder, so like you, you just said, Will, okay, well, is this going to happen? Are we going to find that other guy? Are we going to be a team that, that doesn't just rely on Courtney and Matt and please somebody else, hopefully somebody else, come on, Jericho, get through there, or Brock, you know, do your magic and give us 11? Or can we create that situation where, yeah, we, we do have a third score? Because I, we talked about Andrew Jones a lot, and rightly so. I think he could become a terrific third scorer for us. I, he could become a, a great first scorer for us. But if he's our fourth scorer, <laughs> again, there, there's all those steps you can kind of take. So it's it's nice to feel like we come off of Villanova thinking, man, if only we have that third guy. And then immediately we're getting Andrew Jones shots. We're getting Kai Jones shots. We're getting Greg Brown shots. And we're obviously trying to develop that guy, which, which feels pretty cool because, uh, yeah, I think that if you come off the Villanova loss feeling defeated or deflated or frustrated, then you're missing what could be pretty cool. And and obviously it looked like we were building towards what could be a really nice game with those with those shot numbers for the other guys. Well, I think we can agree that there's probably two, maybe three guys who we think really have that ceiling, who can achieve that reliable third scorer on this team, or at least have a higher ceiling than a lot of players on this team. At least for me, I think it's Greg Brown. And Kai Jones. No, no, no. It's Greg and Andrew. Greg and Andrew? I think, well, Kai, Kai Jones is a reliable underneath guy. He's too, he's not, no, he's too dependent. He's not a guy that you put the ball in his hands and just say kind of score. And what Greg was able to do against Texas State was seen to be more of that. See, I disagree. I think Kai Jones is flexible enough. I mean, he's able to drive. A big guy who's able to drive? Come on. So Johnny, are, are we did talking, he not? Does he not drive the ball? Can he? Does he not shoot threes? Does he not hit threes? So, what I will say is, he can drive in certain circumstances. He is not a guy who can drive in any circumstance. True. Um, I he can take set threes well, which is a significant improvement from last year. In some ways, he's like super advanced Liddell in that. He has a move from the perimeter that he executes, and if it's if it's open and he get can get to the the paint, then good things happen. But he's I, I'm never gonna. Well, I'm not gonna say never. I currently would not call him a creator, which is kind of what I feel no. like. Will you're going after here? Is no, I'm not saying for, he's a creator. I'm saying he's a scorer. Texas needs a scorer. They have creators. They have so, Matt Coleman. They have Courtney Ramey. Even Andrew Jones can be a creator, but. They need scores. They need guys who are, can put the ball in the basket and get the points that you need to win the game. This is a really important point, and I want to give you a chance to talk, Johnny, so I don't, I'm not trying to take away your thunder. This is a key point, and I, and I feel there's a misconception, Will, amongst a lot of basketball fans, not just Texas, but kind of all over the place, of what you mean by scorer. Because it sounds like you think to yourself, wow, think about all the ways that Kai could score in the open floor, um, off of alley-oops, off of putbacks, open threes. There's a big difference between how many of those opportunities you get a game and then someone that you can say, as Johnny's alluding to, is a true playmaker, is someone that can like facilitate either for himself or others or whatever, like, okay, give me the ball, put me in a situation where it's either in isolation or you're giving me a ball screen 
and I can create something. And I just, Kai's terrific. He's a freak. Uh, he's not that guy, at least not now. And I don't, I don't know that we can expect him to be that this year. And I actually think for all the things that Greg does poorly, Greg is closer to that guy right now than Kai is, even though Kai's eventual upside may well be higher. Is that a distinction that makes sense to you, Will? Or Johnny, yeah. would you put yeah, it differently? I get that. I guess what I'm saying is I think Texas has guys or enough guys on the court who are creators or at one time. You know, you have the point guards you need. You have the guards that you need. You need guys who can reliably score in close games. So, Like what you have with Villanova. I think in that sense, what you are looking for is what the NBA would call a 3 and D guy. Like a guy who can plant himself in the corner or in one of a, a handful of spots, hit a reliable three, play good defense, because that's that's a scorer, right? Like not a creator, but a scorer. A guy who open or not very open can hit those shots. And that's what you were hoping from Andrew Jones this year, right? Well, it, no, I he's think, still, he put the ball in his hands a little bit more, I would say. We, we, we yeah, would assume and, that. And I think Andrew's ability, his ball handling ability, especially as of late with what he's shown getting to the rim, he is able to do more. I mean, he, you can stick him in the corner and he'll hit threes um, when he gets on track, but he is capable of more. He can put the ball on the floor and he can get to the bucket in a way that Kai currently cannot. And also, I think Andrew can hit a guarded three better than Kai can, for example. Right. I agree with that. I guess what I'm saying is I think Texas needs a reliable third option. Sure. And, and when it comes to these big games, they really haven't been able to. They have guys who have ceilings or have been able to flash the ability to be that. And I say saying that's why I'm saying there's three guys. There's Kai, Greg, and Andrew. We know what Andrew is capable of. Kai is working himself to be a first-round draft pick. And we know what Greg Brown is. He's an incredibly athletic and probably working his way to be a lottery pick. Now, my question for y'all is how do each of these guys, what do they need to do to get to become that reliable third person? What I would say is if we're assuming that Coleman and Ramey are the two most reliable scorer, playmaker, creator, you know, however you want to define them, that's fine. And we're looking for the third and or fourth guy to come in and provide a, a boost. Then the question for me becomes more one of in what form are you looking for that boost in terms of are you looking for, again, like a, a somebody to sit on a three-point line and hit 40% or whatever from, from three. That's just a threat out there. Are you looking for a slasher? You know, you're looking for someone who is active everywhere and just sort of does putbacks and dunks and whatever. Like there's, there's different ways that can happen, right? So in that sense, Will, I think you're right that all of those guys can potentially be scoring boosts in their way. But in terms of a quote-unquote scorer, Andrew is the only guy to me that qualifies. Greg Brown potentially could, though he's, you know, he is sort of like a, I don't know, he's like a, he's like a deer that's still sort of learning to walk. Like he's, he's fast and he does a lot of really interesting things, but he's also sort of uncoordinated and he's adjusting to the speed of the game. So th things kind of get, get by him sometimes. So he can become that guy. I mean, he only, you already saw that he scored 18 points against Texas state. Yeah. I know, scored... I know his three point Johnny, according to you is not that pretty. No. And it's not technically 
a beautiful shot, but he's able to make those shots. I mean, he's went seven for 14 on the field, three of those being three pointers, 18 points. The guy can score. We've seen that. How do you get that reliably? Against Texas State, the question is, and what I think you're getting at is that you're looking for someone who can do that against the Texas Techs, the Baylors, the Villanovas of the world, right? Like ultimately, that's what you're trying to get right. to, right? What are the steps they need to take to get there? What is it that we're looking for in this team to get to that next level, to get to the level where they have three reliable scores or at least three reliable talents that can get them the boost? over teams like Villanova and Baylor at times. Right. So for Andrew, it's basically him just getting out of a rut, right? Like he's, he's got all the potential. We've seen it in spurts here and there. We've seen, you know, his early sophomore year, like he just started, he needs to get, get in the flow. And when he, when he's, when his shots stop being short, which that seems to happen fairly regularly, which makes me think maybe there's like a minor form issue at play or something. Like maybe he's just not getting his feet set very well. His feet. Yeah. Yeah, His feet. Like, cause they do seem staggered and like the front leg kicks out some and it's kind of just makes me think he's, he's not getting enough. Yeah, the three that he made in the first half against Texas state, when he, Ramey kind of kicked out to him, you saw like he actually had a little shuffle step, which got his body right. And you could tell like before you shot, Oh, his feet are good. So he's going to make it. And yeah, yeah, it's a feet thing with him. Yeah. So like those, those sort of things for him, for him, it's little things, right? Like with a guy like Kai, his, you know, the thing is, he's sort of Jackson Hayes-ish right now, where, which is which is good in that you throw him a lob anywhere near the backboard, and he's probably catching it and flushing it. So there's that. Uh, he also has the ability to use his length to get rebounds that other people may not be able to get for putbacks and that sort of stuff. And he's enough stronger from last year that he can finish through some contact that he didn't before. So he's got certain things going. Uh, he's not going to be a guy who against a stout defense can reliably put the ball on the ground from the perimeter and get going. Right. And probably not be able to use a, a big guy move underneath. Right. He's no, not strong. Not enough. against the no. stronger. Yeah. He's, I mean, he's, he's getting better, but he's not there. So then how do you score against these guys? Well, that's the thing. He can score. Like we said, you think about it from in the open floor, you know, so against Texas state, that was kind of a little bit the recipe. I think he had three dunks in the open floor. He had, I don't remember. Anyways, but open floor dunks, putbacks, alley-oops, uh, open threes, stuff like that. And, and you know, pump fake into a into a dribble drive. Or if he gets a chance to like straight line drive, then obviously he's one dribble and he's he's there. So it's not like he doesn't have that ability to, to, to get to the rim occasionally. Yeah, and if his pump fake was better, like it's not terrible, but if, it's, if it was better, that could assist on some of these other things. Right. So regardless, any of those things from before that we would talk about for him, for the most part, he's so, he's again he's just so dependent, and and I love my guy Matt Coleman. I love him. <laughs> if Matt was better, then maybe Kai could be a legitimate third scorer, but so could Jericho Sims. <laughs> you know, if 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 Matt was better at turning the corner, or if Courtney was better at turning the corner, if we could reliably have those guys find their way into the paint where they're in a positive situation than a guy like Kai or a guy like Jericho who is is rotating into open space as opposed to rotating into not open space because because Matt and, and Courtney are just limited. They're they're good players and they've they've shot really well and they've led us incredibly well. So, you know, not trying to strike them at all, but they're not TJ. They're not DJ. 
they don't have that ability to just, you know, dictate when and how they get into the paint. And because of that, defenses don't have to rotate off of Kai like we would like to see them. There's a reason that that James Thomas <laughs> looks better than Jericho Sims. And I think James Thomas was a good player. I'm not sure that if you take both of their careers and you switch who their point guards were, <laughs> that, that Jericho wouldn't have had the numbers that, that James Thomas did. And it's, it's just because, you know, centers like that are just so dependent on point guards. And it's one of the reasons that we always talk about, like, okay, how do we find ways that our point guard can marry high scoring numbers with high assist numbers? And it's not just simply that, that you know, that production makes a difference, but also the fact that when you have guys that can do both things, that facilitates the second and third scores, or maybe the third and fourth scores for our standpoint. And, you know, that's, that's kind of a longer way of saying, I guess the easiest way to get to four good scorers is if, like, like Johnny says, if Andrew kind of finds his way out of this funk, if you have three guys, and I think that Andrew can score at the level that Matt and, and Courtney have been, if you have three guys scoring like that, I just, I just think that's going to open up the floor so much more. And I don't think that we can count on Greg to score like like Andrew probably can. I just don't think he can be that efficient. Not that Andrew's been particularly efficient, but but what we've seen Andrew be efficient in the past, if if we add that kind of stuff, even if he's no better, but if we just get some of that, you know, last year Andrew at some of his better moments and add that to Matt and Courtney, I really think this team has a chance to 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 open up some floor, to get some better moments for Kai and Greg and Jericho and and then hopefully get some pretty cool wins. Yeah, and I think if Andrew I mean, just starts setting his feet better from perimeter and starts hitting like he can, then nobody else has to become a scorer, right? Like because then you got three guys that are they're all on the perimeter or they, they can get to the paint fairly well. And a guy like Kai doesn't have to become a creator, doesn't have to become a scorer. Uh a guy like Greg can be the sort of flawed but potential laden guy that he is. Uh, Jericho can be the guy who sets screens and and gets putbacks and you know does you know, dunks every once in a while kind of like it's just everybody gets slotted into a more natural position. So for me, if we're talking about third guy, it's clearly Andrew. And when if and when he does, that means nobody else has to be anything other than what they're good at. So what does a fully realized Greg Brown look like, and what is he on this team if not a third scorer? A fully realized Greg Brown is 23 years old. I mean, frankly, <laughs> like he's in terms of college basketball this year. I mean, not a ton different than what you're seeing now. He's just he he's he's probably not making some of the little mistakes he's making now. Right. Like he's better at deciding when to take a charge as opposed to being a blocking foul. Uh, he is better at understanding what actually constitutes an open lane to the basket versus not, you know, it's decision-making more than anything. So it's not going to be a consistent double-digit score for this team? I don't I don't know about that. I, I think he has the potential in any game to be a double-digit score, but to be a consistent one, you know, I mean, given, if, if this was like Texas of a couple years ago, he'd have to be because the team would not be good enough that they'd be relying on him to be a, like a 15, 10 guy or something. Right. But this year he can be an eight and six guy or whatever. And that's actually, that'll be a solid contribution and it'll be another person to roll out there. Like he doesn't have to be that guy. So I, I, 
I don't know that Greg is going to be a double-digit scorer reliably for Texas. I think it'll happen here and there. And and maybe I'm wrong. He he learns his stuff faster than I expect, and he becomes a reliable, like, say, 11-6 and six guy, which would be great. Uh, but I, I still think that as impressive athletically as he is, he, he is clearly learning the difference between high school and college right now. And unlike some other seasons where there's more non-conference play, he's about to get thrown into the fryer against Big 12. And, you know, I don't know how or if he's going to make the necessary leap to be what you are hoping he could be. Well, and, and if you think about my sort of ridiculous kind of silly statement of the billionaire's Royce Ham, that's still a role player. R- ridiculously accurate, sir. <laughs> it's it's still a role player. Like Royce Ham, even at his very best, is a role player guy. And I think that that's <laughs> what we're all kind of dancing around here or trying to find our, our positions with here is that I think, I, I hope, and I don't mean to speak for you, Will, but I, I, I do think Johnny and I are in agreement that the top three guys as far as usage, um, dominating the ball, highest amount of shots, at least against good teams, it's it's gonna be Andrew, Courtney, and Matt. That's just that's how college basketball works. So I think that Greg could average double figures, but I think that probably manifests itself with <laughs> sixteen points one game and four points the next game, and thirteen points one game and seven points the next game, and you yeah, just kind of see how nineteen things- against Kansas State. And 21 against Corpus Christi, and then five against Baylor, and seven against Kansas, kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's because, because I do think his skill set right now suggests that he's a really, really phenomenally athletic and pretty doggone well skilled role player. Because he just does, like we've been talking about with Kai. He does not have the ability to create shots for himself. And in the college game, when you're talking about zone defenses, when you're talking about, you know, an 18-year-old playing against a 22 or 23-year-old in a lot of situations, you have to be able to do that because because good college coaches only have to game plan for like 24 opponents. I mean, even when you incorporate what, what you're talking about with, with conferences and the fact that they see these games over and over and over, they see the same players, they don't have to game plan for, for 82 games a year like NBA coaches do. They don't have to game plan, you know, like a high school coach might, where, you know, especially on Greg Brown's level, where he's, you know, a guy, if they have played a high school game against a team from North Carolina or from Washington State or whatever. Look, Chris Beard knows Shaka. <laughs> he knows his team. He knows what's going on. So does, you know, so does Bill Self. So does every single coach in the Big 12. And what we need from Greg is to be able to just fill a role in a really dynamic, athletic, explosive, awesome way. And when the game dictates him shooting five threes and hopefully making two of them, that he can do it. And when the game dictates him shooting two threes and making one and then getting nine rebounds, hopefully he can do it. But I just, I don't think that we'll ever see a game in and game out 13 and seven, 13 and seven. That's just, that's just, it's not going to happen when he's hopefully our fourth best option. Now, if the light came on from the last game and he becomes that guy, or if Andrew just just for whatever reason this year can't do that and we need that from Greg, well, then we'll have to reevaluate. But I, at this point, I don't I don't think it's going to happen. Let's go ahead and change gears here and look towards the future, and that is Baylor. Baylor Bears uh, is the next game. They are number two in the nation, if I'm not mistaken. At least in Ken Palm, they are. No, in Ken and, Palm, they're number one, but in the rankings, they're number two. 
really, I, I'm looking at Ken Palm right now, and you were wrong, Johnny, apparently. Oh, they so were number one for a while last night. Yep. Not anymore. Right. Number two. That's fine by me. Fuck them. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I want to extend the lifespan of this podcast a little bit. And, well, Scott and, Drew tried to get me to declaw my dog. Who declaws his dog? And Scott Drew was calling me. He's like, you should declaw your dog. I'm like, really? He's like, oh, yeah. Well, what they a terrible person. That guy's an ass. Yes. Scott Drew tried to get us into swinging, but just my girlfriend. Wow. What an asshole. Yeah, he's terrible. Jeez. But anyways, let's go ahead and extend the lifespan of this podcast. I guess we're going to get canceled that way, but let's go ahead and try to extend it by talking more macro about this game. And I want to know, what are y'all going to be looking for out of Texas in this game in general? How are you going to learn the most about Texas out of this game? What are you going to be watching on the floor to know where this Texas team is right now and where they can go? Well, I'll keep it small because I think Johnny's a better analyst the longer we get into a show and the, you know, for obvious reasons. <laughs> do we, so the two things I want, well, three things I want to see. How how do we keep them off the offensive glass? How capably can we keep them from being in the 40% or above from deep? And how close do we get to taking the good shots that will get us close to 40% from deep? How we shoot from three how they shoot from three, how we rebound. And obviously, you know, that's true in almost any game, but I I think that this particular Baylor team is so experienced and so strong and so athletic that they're just going to be able to get just about whatever they want, no matter who they play. They just, they're they're a very impressive team. And one time Scott Drew um, uh, punched like six babies and 11 dogs, like in, you know, 13 seconds span it was incredible just pow 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 babies dogs babies I feel like dogs that's more impressive than it is an asshole thing to do <laughs> i don't know but uh, it, it was it was it, awful it, there's it was like awful. a it's like a seesaw of wow that's impressive and wow that's awful yeah he took a hacksaw and murdered a bunch of cats it was, it was tough stuff but wow. yeah <laughs> you know we're tough really stuff getting some facts about scott drew in this podcast <laughs> yeah man. that's just who you know I, it just, you can't deny it how can you deny something that's undeniable what, I mean that's it's undeniable. What, what but, made it more of an asshole thing than, than impressive is that he punched all the dogs first, and then he targeted the children, <laughs> the babies. Let's yeah, say yeah, the, the babies, babies, the babies, the babies, who, who that he then threatened to deport if they didn't commit to Baylor. But so but he, it's it's pretty it's pretty it's pretty basic shit to say. How well do we defensive rebound? How do how well do we shoot from deep? How well do we defend from deep? But when you're talking about a team that has the aspirations we do against a team like Baylor, who's very, very good, that simple shit probably will go a long way. Well, I think you can look at what they did against Villanova when you're talking about defending from deep. Villanova is is a pretty good three-point shooting team, and Texas held them to, what was it, about the same that they shot? I think it was 31%, and... Uh, six for nineteen. I think that's it. Johnny, are, are you? I thought you were staring at a screen, looking it up. Sorry. Uh, no. <laughs> like you just stopped, and I was like, "Is is he googling that? I don't. I don't know if he's. Is he? Does he have his calculator up, doing the math on six divided by nineteen? I'm not sure what's going on here. I, I don't know. He just had these like. I'll, I'll look it up now. Yeah, they were six for nineteen. That was off the top of my head, right there. Yeah, congratulations. Um, so I think with I'm a very, I'm a very good driver. 
Yeah. So yeah, two hundred forty-three toothpicks. Um, there was so the right now Baylor is averaging nearly forty forty-seven percent from three on the season. Forty-seven percent. Yeah, and it's worth noting that the one time they played somebody who was. I'm going to say roughly analogous only in terms of quality in Illinois. It was significantly below that. Like some of this is them just beating up on, on teams significantly worse than them. So I, they're not going to shoot 47% from three all season because they've never done it. Because if they did, Scott Drew would have a national title to go along with his trophy for worst dad on the planet. They still shot 39% against Illinois. And let's not shit on them. Let's shit on tech. Take a look at Tech's non-conference opponents at this point. And then let's shit on Kansas look, State. Look, we got plenty <laughs> of time to shit on all of them, including Kansas State, who lost to a D2 opponent at home, which was glorious to watch. When, especially An when, 0-2 D2 opponent who had lost to two D2 schools. Uh, Tim, 0-3. Who, who did not get to count the win because for them it was an exhibition. So <laughs> the D2 team is still winless because... For them, it counted as an exhibition, but Kansas State has to take the loss because it was a real game for them, which makes it interesting on a number of levels. Not only be that the the record between the two teams going into this was three to two Kansas State from like some really old matchups. For the D two team, Kansas State t- still technically has the series lead, but in Kansas State's books, they're tied. That's amazing. I, I, it has nothing to do with what we're doing, but I, Tim, I, I feel like we should balance that with some, with some Scott Drew facts. Oh yeah. Well, he stabbed, um, he stabbed the Dalai Lama. He's the fifth shooter on the grassy knoll. I mean, that's been proven. Uh, I'm fairly certain that he runs Dominion, the voting stuff. Who, who so, were like, the first I, four shooters? Scott Drew. Okay. <laughs> right. Just checking. Thank you. So. Yeah, I, the, one of the main reasons, aside from Villanova just being a really interesting matchup for Texas and sort of in the caliber of opponent and what they do offensively, one of the primary reasons I was interested in that matchup is because in a lot of ways, Villanova is somewhat similar, at least offensively, to Baylor. And they have the same kind of combination of experience, talent, offensive philosophy, so I, it, it in some ways it was sort of a mock-up of Baylor, and I wanted to see how Texas did defensively against that. And the answer is pretty well. Like they held uh, Villanova to below their season average in make per, in make percentage, below their season average in take percentage, or excuse me, take you know attempts. So if they can do that same thing to Baylor, where say they hold them to. 38% on, you know, 14 shots, something like that. Then that removes some of the explosiveness from Baylor's offense. So some some of the the sort of the high side of Baylor's offensive output. If we're looking for ways that Texas can make this equation work for them, aside from limiting Baylor's three-point shooting, which Baylor's not heavy on attempts, but they are there they they make a high percentage of them. So if they can round that number down on the three-point line that helps uh one of the other ways is like 
Tim said, is try to limit Baylor's offensive rebounding as best you can. And that's an easier thing said than done. They're always a good offensive rebounding team. So it's more of a, if you can get them down from, I think they're they're rebounding almost 42% of their missed shots. If you can get that down to like 30, that's a handful of shots that they don't get. If you can get them from making 47% of their threes down to 38 that's a few missed shots, right? Like it, it, these are sort of the marginal gains you're trying to get when you were taking on a team that is in the top two in the country. And, you know, you deal with that sort of stuff. You also uh, try to do what you can to block their shots because one of their few nicks, one of their few bruises, uh, chinks in the armor is that they get their shots blocked somewhat regularly relative to everything else they're do- doing. So if... Texas can uh, block the shots, alter the shots, force them into worse shots, then that's that's probably a good thing. Um, one of the only other chinks in their armors thus far is that their free throw, shoot, free throw shooting is not very good. So if you can, uh, if they don't make their free throws, that helps. Like that said, Baylor is clearly the favorite here. They should be the favorite, especially because they're going to put like 12,000 Baptists in there just to infect all of us. Like Scott Drew's been infected with coronavirus 12 times this year because he keeps going to COVID wards and mouth kissing COVID patients. Actually, I hear he kills the COVID patients. It's not the COVID. It's part of the conspiracy. I mean, nobody can prove it. Like it's, he's just in the room before they die. Yeah, that's the thing. And the needles are missing, but... I feel like that's a coincidence. Well, I think he finds out, from what I've heard, he finds out who's on their deathbed and then asks to do the DDT. Like he just goes in and DDTs all of them. And it's a it's a wrestling move, Will, or no? Or... No, I don't do wrestling. Okay. Well, uh, let's just say he body slams them, like The Undertaker body slamming Hulk Hogan oh, wow. in 1988's SummerSlam. What an image. Mm-hmm. What an image. Wow. I didn't know Scott Drew was like that. But, uh, well, he's secretly a massive steroid user, so he doesn't mm-hmm. like he. But he's he still it, very weak, mostly mm-hmm. due to all of the stem cells he harvests from babies that are still alive. Well, yeah, I mean, wh- when else would you get them? I mean, come on, Will. Let's be reasonable here. Who's going to drink their marrow? You will. You're not going to drink those babies' marrow. Scott Drew will. Scott Drew will. I think he has. <laughs> As far as I can tell, he's drinking multiple babies' marrows right now. It's like a milkshake. It's a really expensive milkshake. Yeah, he loves it. This is his favorite drink. If you go to if you go to Scott Jew's house, there's just discarded baby bones all over the place. Yeah, sans marrow. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're all cracked wow. in half. Yeah. Wow. Prove me wrong. Wow, I was unaware of all this. Prove to me that there are no bones in his backyard. <laughs> show me how there are not yeah, dead baby up carcasses. Scott Drew's backyard all and over. show me this is false. <laughs> <laughs> so, Johnny, I, I still feel like you haven't given me an, a bigger overview of what you're looking for out of Texas, not just how to beat Baylor, but for going forward after Baylor. I don't want to say that Baylor's, I know I'm not Johnny. <laughs> Hi Johnny. Please I don't tell think me. that Baylor's a unicorn. I don't think so. I, I think that there's gonna be eventually there will be some chinks in their armor. The Big Twelve is too good to not have someone kind of figure it out. Now, if I had to guess, maybe a team like West Virginia who should naturally be able to keep Baylor off of the glass, 
but there's going to be other stuff. And I think Johnny's right in that they've, they've kind of ridden a high so far as, you know, from a standpoint of like who they played, how they've been able to kind of get after it. They are riding some of the momentum of being ranked as high as they are. They are big and strong and physical, but you also like, if I had to say who's more gifted, like long-term gifted, who could I see, you know, going crazy from, from deep or, or being the kind of team that, that has a chance to get in a track race with them. I think Texas can do that, you know, but I also think that a game like this is going to go a long way towards showing us how for real is Jericho Sims? Is he ready to play at this level? If he's just not, then what does Texas do? Because I, as good as Kai is, as much as I think everyone loves Royce Ham, the best Texas team out there has Jericho playing at a high level consistently. This is a game where he could get exposed. You know, whether it's his timidness or timidity, timidness. I'll go with either. Sure. (laughs) Whether it's that or his propensity for silly fouls or whether we can't get engaged offensively because we're not able to turn the corner against Baylor's tough defense, whether it's Andrew wanting to make a difference and, and pressing, whether it's Greg having an off night from three, whether it's Kai, you know, either being in foul trouble, whatever it might be, we still have a clearly top six of our guys. And right now, only two of those six are consistently playing well. <laughs> and that's worked in the non-conference, even against some good teams. The Big 12 was not filled with good teams. The Big 12 was filled with very good teams, of which Baylor is probably the best. But if we can't play well against Baylor, then it's not like there's a big drop-off for Kansas or West Virginia. There's a drop-off, but not a huge one. And so this, I don't want to say it's a harbinger for what will happen the rest of the season, but if we come out on on Sunday and get pantsed, uh, then, then, you know, it's going to be a slog. I don't think either team is capable of getting pantsed because both teams defensively are so good that it, and both of them play at a slow enough tempo that it's more likely this is like a, like pantsed in this respect would be 52 to 40 kind of thing. Yeah. Like there's, it's unlikely to be 85 to 60. It's probably going to be a game where the team that cracks 60 wins this because neither of them push too much. Now, Texas pushes uh, enough offensively that they might be able to get, I mean, I'm not going to call it a track meet, like a, you know, call it a jog. Like it's, I, it's not going to be as slow as the games were last year. But both teams are good enough defensively that I think possessions are going to drag out long enough that it will it will cause the 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 score to be low. The, the one thing Texas has really got to be uh, on the uh, on the lookout for is they have to cut down on the unforced turnovers because Baylor is good enough at causing turnovers on its own. Texas does not need to help them. That's that's one of the things Texas has been bad at offensively this year is that they it's not they don't get the ball stolen it's like they just throw it out of bounds or something like that's the kind of stuff they really need to limit if they have any shot especially in spurts like we'll have like four turnovers in in three minutes so yeah we can't have those kind of things and hope to be in against a team you know any team in the top ten let alone one of the top couple teams in the country so I think the last note we can really put on Baylor in this game is the fact that Drayton Whiteside needs to get in this game. He is nine and two career wise. When it comes to playing in games, 
This dude is magic on the floor. I don't even know what what percentage of that is. It, what is that? That is uh, it's about eighty eight percent. Nine eleven is that? That's eighty eight percent. Give or take. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, when I when I do nine, nine when I do nine divided by eleven, it's, it's September eleven tax. So I probably well, right. <laughs> Speaking of September eleventh, I think Scott Drew, it's been recorded. Was the mastermind? I he he wasn't the mastermind, but he did cheerlead on it about it on every forum possible. Like I oh okay. I don't I don't know how he managed. Like this is a solid decade before Twitter came out and he managed to tweet support for Osama bin Laden. Wow. I feel like, I think that was his first tweet. It was, yeah. it, well, first of many pro bin Laden tweets. Yes. Yeah. Oh, he's deleted them now, of course. No, <laughs> no, they're still a piece up. of shit. They're still, you, up. you just have to look, you have to look in the right places. Yeah. It's, it's a hashtag. It's all in Arabic. He's very clever like that. All right, y'all. I think are there any more Scott Drew facts that we want to get out of here out here, Tim, before we close the book on this one until next Baylor game? He smokes unfiltered cigarettes, but then smokes him through a baby's lungs, so they filter the cigarettes for him. Oh. He he's actually the reason why weed is still illegal in Texas, because uh he, he wants to he wants to keep it for himself. He is the big he is the big tobacco lobby. Yeah, he's yeah he's he's basically he's not even the big tobacco lobby. He's just anti weed because he just wants it for himself. He's got twenty acres outside of Waco of military grade pot, but you're never gonna touch it. He gave T.J. Ford spinal stenosis. Yeah. He um, Sid Miller Harris's dad spoke eleven languages before he met Scott Drew. Um, he gave Jimmy V cancer. Uh, he makes sure that Dickie V will work for perpetuity at ESPN. He is why Bill Walton is Bill Walton. That's the only other guy who gets his weed, I guess, is, is Bill Walton. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. On to everybody's favorite part of the podcast. It feels like we've already been doing it this entire podcast, but pretend you're getting to know us. This week is a fun one. We have If You Were Arrested with No Explanation. What would your co-host assume you had done? And then your co-hosts are going to tell you whether you're right or wrong. It's kind of like uh, the couples game or the newlyweds game. All right, I will go first. So mine is going to be that I took the rap for a loved one that I f- that's no. that's someone I care about a lot. No. I just felt too you. No, you don't think I, I'd tape or take the rap for a loved one? No, I think I think Tim, yours would be you're blackout drunk. Yep, and you were like you were trying to help an old lady cross the road, but you got caught for trespassing or something like that, and you were blackout drunk while doing it, and the old woman wasn't there. It was a DWI while driving the old lady home. I don't. Why do you think I go? You, Johnny, you know I don't go anywhere. You, Your Xbox Live account can attest to the fact that I go nowhere. I'm just I'm saying, thinking. like, if we're talking about things that we, like, if, if someone said Tim got arrested, the first thought in my head is something drunk related. And yeah. probably Force. being right. nice. Like, like Will's on to something about being nice. So, like, you got hammered at Estos in Ames and we're like driving your rental car home and saw some lady with a uh, like a broken down car and was like I needed to help this lady 
And like you <laughs> rolled up there and we're like trying to jump her car, but because you're drunk, you've reversed the cables and like burned her car down. And so you're like, I got to give you a ride home. And that's when the cops showed up. Like a week ago, my dog and I were on a run. And so, you know, both because of COVID and because, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm not a tiny man, but I, I legit gave this old bitch probably 15 feet. Like I'm way away from her, like way to her left, like not close at all. And she just was like, <gasps> when I passed her, I, I thought she was going to have a heart attack. So there's, there's no way. Oh, I'm that's a good one. Is drunkenly, drunken manslaughter by surprising an old lady. <laughs> <laughs> she, she got surprised and jumped out in the street and got hit. Is that what it no, is? No, no, no. You can do manslaughter. It's manslaughter. I, I feel like I could be completely wrong here. I'm sure we're all lawyers. So this is, this is fine. I think manslaughter is when you accidentally kill somebody. Is that is that right? Something like that. Well, I think when you're being negligible or like if you're doing something dangerous. And yeah, you so you're drunk and you su- accidentally surprise an I was old lady. On a run with my dog. And you kill them through heart attack. I feel like that's a negligible. You're the ne- reason ne- for the heart attack, and you're also drunk. Guys, it's when I get drunk, I watch like Rudy. You're, you're like you're like telling the old lady that she has like a like an untied shoelace, and all <laughs> <laughs> you surprise her, and she dies. <laughs> I watch Last Airbender when I'm drunk. I don't I don't go around other people. I have small kids. I don't drink until like eight thirty, and they're asleep. That's what I do. That's why you're not hammered until close to 2 a.m. And that's when you're out and about, like... Scaring just, old ladies just, to death. Yeah. I, you guys don't know me at all. This is <laughs> heartbreaking. We don't know you, or you don't know you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Johnny, you want me to go, or you want to go? I'll go. Mine's quick. Drug possession. Yeah, yeah yep. Uh, yep. Maybe. I'm I looking for Molly. Murder, but... I'm I'm too much like I I'm too much of a bitch to murder anybody. Yeah, like, that's, yeah probably drug like, possession. Okay. You're right. Listen, yeah. I've been wanting to say this for a long time. He plays a hard line, but this is the same douchebag that posted multiple multiple things about ducks that landed in his backyard that he fell in love with and wanted to take care of and was sad when they left. Don't fall for the hard exterior. This guy's got a heart of gold. Okay, he he plays the I'm a tough guy card. It's do, a fake. Do I, do I play the I'm a tough guy card? You try I, to have tough takes. I, I feel like... This guy uh, loves duckies. I feel like of the things I do, and I do many questionable things. Like, I'm not disagreeing here, but, like, I don't think I go for the I'm a tough guy bit. Like... I'm, no, he goes He goes for the I'm, I'm a nihilist. Yeah, nihilist, yeah. sure. Yeah, right. maybe more of that. Who loves duckies? I did. Those ducks were awesome. And also, I watched one of them die. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know. See, anyways, drugs. Yeah, but no. Yeah, Will, drug you don't possession seems like the pretty easy. Feels yet. like Charlie Sheen in, in uh, Ferris Bueller. Drugs. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I feel like drug possession is a good one for Johnny. Because I, I, I tried to come up with something creative, and I was like, no, the simple one's the correct one. Yeah, yeah. The, this is the one they will profile. What is that again. thing? It's the simplest answer is usually the the correct yeah, one. Occam's, Occam's razor, yes. Right. Yeah. See, and I, I can't think of one for me. I'm I'm trying to think of one. Um, Security fraud. No, 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 no. Stop! Don't, don't. 
Not yet. Let me let me come up with it, and y'all can tell me what, what oh, I'm okay. wrong, okay? It's fine. Ponzi We've only scheme. had an hour and a half, so go ahead. Take time. <laughs> fine, y'all. Okay, fine. <laughs> Ponzi scheme? Ponzi yeah. scheme. Well, unintentional Ponzi scheme. How's that? Because I don't okay, think... Okay, I was going to go for like something like serial killer, but... No. Like no. I don't, but I don't have enough time. You know, you smile all the time, my you're, guy. You're, yeah, like but the, that, the, the reason I was thinking that is because it's like the la- you know usually the serial killers are the last people you would like imagine, and I feel like y'all could never imagine me doing that. Yeah, I I think serial killers are usually pretty easy to imagine. Like most of the people you see like get arrested for it, you're like, yeah, that dude had feet in his in his fridge. I could see that. <laughs> like, I. I you're just you're so the only scenario in which I could see you become a serial killer is of Texas football coaches. Like I could mm. see you taking out an assistant every year or two just out of mm. sheer frustration. So that mm. that that's that's a, that's the most likely Will is a serial killer sort of vibe I could get. Rashad Samples deserves a spot as a wide receiver coach. Goodbye, current coach. I think so. Here's my take on on serial killers: people who would say that you would never suspect them can't know them because I just have to assume that serial killers are going to give you a tell. Like at some point, they're going to like kill people they actually know. Like, yeah, that guy could see it. No, that's the thing. That's the thing is, it's every time it's like, wow, I could never imagine it was that guy. But I'm guessing that's that that the some, people who are being interviewed don't actually know the person. Sometimes it's like that, but you know, think about uh, who's the one that everybody falls in love with for some reason? Johnny. Yeah. <laughs> It's fair. I would be a very charismatic serial killer. <laughs> the other one, the other one with the women and stuff. Oh yeah, I know who you're talking about. The, Epstein. No, <laughs> yeah, those were not women. Those were girls. That's um, you're thinking of the guy in the '70s. I, yeah, I, I know who you're talking about. Right. Good-looking yeah. guy. Yeah, yeah. Good with the ladies. That's what I was imagining for me. Yeah. No. Boy, this is awkward, Will. I don't. <laughs> yeah, this feels feels like we're about to have some sort of intervention about personal personal views. Um, I feel like, yeah, I I, I feel like it, Will could definitely do a an unintentional Ponzi scheme. I really feel like like it's not like he's like I'm out to defraud everybody. It's like I got this product. I think is great and I'm going to get investors and it starts failing. And then he's like, what if I get more investors to cover <laughs> the other investors? Cause I can make this work. And then they get their money into you and you're like, that's not enough money. I got to get more investors to pay the original investors. Cause this is going to work. And, and eventually you just get stuck in front of a judge going, I just needed more time. <laughs> the old A&M defense. Yeah, uh-huh. something like that. Yeah, just ran out of time. Yeah, just you, ran out you, of time. You didn't. You didn't lose twelve billion dollars in people's money. You just ran out of time. Congratulations, you are this podcast's Bernie Madoff, but friendly. <laughs> I am the friendly Bernie Madoff. All right, yeah. way handsomer. Yeah, it's <laughs> true. You. you are. Yeah, you definitely get more ladies than Bernie Madoff now. What is it? It's not John Wayne Gacy. What is the? What is that dude's name? handsome serial killer <laughs> ted bundy yep that's so i'm him. the i'm the i'm the ted bundy ponzi schemer is that is that what you're saying no because ted bundy was legitimately attractive and Damn. very charismatic and you're kind you of charismatic kind of and not bad looking apparently on this list is charles manson do you guys think charles manson is good looking 
Is that Son of Sam? Which was the Son of Sam guy? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. He, he's the one yeah. who killed uh, with the Tate girl. Yeah. Yeah. Charles Shab Haraj, the bikini killer. Anyways. <laughs> on that note, y'all, that is... <laughs> Thank you for pretending we were football for the past hour. I've been your host, Will Bazer. You guys can find me on Twitter at W-I-L-L-B-A-I-Z-E-R. Johnny Brashear, where can we find you? Uh, I am also on Twitter at Will Bazer. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, at Bitter White Guy, which is eventually going to become Will Bazer's Twitter handle someday. Um, you can also find me on Substack bitterwhiteguy.substack.com uh, I'm also on Patreon which I just remembered this week because I finally got a patron so hey <laughs> alright uh, you, you don't get anything special there it's it's everything's free but you know it's a tip jar so whoever wants to tip me um, I will do dirty things for money so was it yeah, Tim? So just so, yeah no Johnny's asking for the tip yeah so just so I, we're clear about this I am he wants and that's tip. why Tim is the patron Yep, that's right. Yeah, no, t- Tim uh, Tim gives me more than just the tip. <laughs> uh, Johnny makes probably three times what I make, so no, I will not be tipping him for his lukewarm basketball takes. So. Ooh. Ooh. I don't oh. I don't know oh. I don't know whether to this be is coming uh, in hot on this episode, let's man. Get off mom's. I just got off yours. Oh. <laughs> I don't know if that's complimenting me on my prowess <laughs> at making money or insulting me on my severe lack of sex appeal, but either way I'll take it. I know that Tim loves Star Wars, so a lukewarm take. Okay, okay, he must really love my take. <laughs> I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna pay you like twenty dollars to melt pristine original Star Wars figures, like twenty dollars <laughs> per figure. I'll, or, that's or I'll pay, I'll pay you like twelve dollars per watching of the Last Jedi. Oh boy, sheesh. Like Is Mel the last Gibson Jedi in the Patriot? two hours? That's that's six dollars an hour, Tim. That's not worth it. As your lawyer, yeah. that's not worth it. I know what manslaughter. Okay, is. we'll do minimum wage, seven twenty-five an hour for you to <laughs> watch a... the Last Jedi over and over again. Like oh, whenever gosh. you know you're coming up a little short on mortgage payments, you can just watch the Last Jedi like four times, kick a little cash in. Okay, I gotta say, and so ever any pop culture, pop culture fans out there. The Star Wars stuff that we got released yesterday, like the what's going on in the calendar, I kind of maxed like 50. I, so I, I came in my pants, I wept for joy, I stood and applauded, and I came in my pants again. Oh my gosh. Did you see the Disney Plus stuff? Like that's, what they Was this all with? on my, camera, on Zoom camera while teaching your students? That's I feel like that's a, as your lawyer, Tim, you should not. That's a very Scott Drew thing yeah, to do is to come Scott, on camera. Well, he told me to children. do it. He's like, oh, no problem at all. Get, get a suit and deport it. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Tim, as your good. lawyer, I think you should stop. But, you know, as your co-host, I think you should keep going. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it's worth noting that he is not licensed in Iowa, so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, InsideTexas.com and on Twitter, InsideTexasHoop, no S. I love retweets and our community at InsideTexas.com is awesome. We'd love to have you there. Come check us out. And Tim, give me a story from this week. Boy, not much. Man, I'll tell you what. Rona, am I right? Sheesh, That's my mom's name. All right. On that note, thank you for pretending we were football for the past hour. You guys can find episodes like this one and others on the Hornscast channel. It's the Hornscast channel on any podcasting platform out there.
Thank you all for listening. We'll see you all next week. Hook them. Hook them. So it was rough. This was the first week of hybrid. And so for hybrid, what happens is half the kids are going to be at home and half the kids will be in the building, except for that's not what happened because they still have the chance if they want to learn online, they can learn all online. You don't have to come into the building anytime if you don't want to. So are they going to be online? Are they going to be at home? Are they going to be here in the building? So some kids were in the building, but it was really strange because I'm still Zooming with my kids when they're online. And when, when that happens, what happens is, is they're still on the computer, but I'm, I'm in the computer, but the other kids who are also on the computer, but are they on the computer? So did I look at the kids who are in the classroom? Did I look at the kids who are on the computer? How does that work out? Well, and then I have to...